You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 351, Enoch Powell and his rivers of blood. Should the BBC broadcast anything and everything? Would you pay 250 quid to go to a fan convention to meet your heroes? And can you really be called Fleetwood Mac without Lindsay Buckingham? It's all coming up after Parquet Quartz and Wide Awake. That is a tune that has made me dance the most this week. Uh, that is Parquet Courts and Wide Awake. It is, I've shaken my tail feathers to that, Terence. Indeed, what a, what a picture you paint! I, I, <laughs> I, 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 no, I really love that. Some some of us of a certain vintage may have been singing "Reasons to Be Cheerful." Yes, One, true. two, three, along with that, yeah. that, that's a positive. I, no, I really, really yeah, like yeah, it. Absolutely, it's a bit pig baggy as well. I think you can, you can obviously yeah. hear its influences, but I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Yeah, you played it on your radio show in the week. I um, welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 351. I'm Terence Stackham, and here we go, the, the, the old, old intro. Um, is she wide awake? Let's find out. It's Juliet Harris. 
Well, I mean, that is a fair question, and I can't possibly answer that at this time on a Saturday morning. Hello, everyone. <laughs> well, Jules, on the day that we record this podcast, which is indeed, as you say, Saturday morning, 14th of April, 2018, and hello to everyone listening in the future. Yes, um, hi, guys. <laughs> on Tell the... us what it's like, won't you? <laughs> yes, if we have a future. On this day, at <laughs> 8 o'clock this evening, BBC Radio 4 are remembering... One of the most controversial speeches made by a British politician. It's 50 years since Enoch Powell addressed a meeting of Conservatives in Birmingham and spoke of his concerns about what was then referred to as mass immigration. And he criticised the then proposed race relations bill. Well, the speech led to Enoch Powell being dismissed from Edward Heath's shadow cabinet. Perhaps it's fair to say that the speech divided opinion at the time Powell made it, and such views could still to be said, could still be said to be divisive today, with many attributing votes for Brexit to current concerns by some to European Union free movement policies. Now, BBC Radio 4 are broadcasting tonight Powell's 1968 speech in full. It'll be read by the actor Ian McDermott. Um, this too, it's proving contentious. This broadcasting, as there've been many people, many people protesting that the BBC is enabling racism to be deemed as acceptable, while others feel that the public broadcaster is free to wear what was a public speech. But where do you stand on this, Jules? As a public service, should the BBC to be free to broadcast anything and everything? Well, actually, so I'd, I've had to think about this a lot mm. because there are, I don't think there's necessarily a simple answer to this. There are lots of facets to this. But the BBC is a public service broadcaster. You're absolutely right on mm. that. I do think as a public service broadcaster, it does have some duty to the public. And I think it has the it has a duty to behave in a right and proper way, I think. Mm. And I I. I am uneasy about the BBC broadcasting this speech in full. It was never broadcast in full anyway. They are recreating something which was never heard. Unfortunately, the actor that they're using has been has given an interview in which he's, he's said he doesn't think the speech is racist, which doesn't exactly fill me with a great deal of confidence, I must admit, when it quite clearly is racist. Mm. I mean, there is no... I don't think that that, that aspect of this is not controversial, I don't think. Mm. Um it clearly is racist. I don't think. I mean, so so the arguments in in favour of, of 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 sort of broadcasting it is that, of course, if we shut these things away, it's the same. There's a, an article I read recently, a similar argument for um, putting racist artifacts in museums. Mm. That if we don't have these things on display, if we're not aware of them, if they get brushed under the carpet, then we we can't react against them and we sort of forget their power and we and we we forget the dangers of them so i can see that kind of argument but my worry at the moment is that obviously we're in a very febrile political climate i think that's a fair way to put it post post referendum the referendum seems to have stirred some stuff up which i think those of us kind of you know liberal elite metropolitan types <laughs> thought had been dug, dug away forever mm. so unfortunately you know with the, there are tensions at the moment i think that is a fair description um and I think it is, I've read some points online, which I think I'm inclined to agree with, which it is rather irresponsible, given that there are, you know, we've, we've had Britain first recently, we've had various people like that. There are, you know, 
not to put too fine a point on it, young, angry white men Mm. being radicalised online at the moment. We we hear so much about, you know, Asian chaps being radicalised, but there is another thing going on online, which is these these kind of young, white, angry, young, white chaps being radicalised. And if you have this this kind of audio recording i know it's not really not power but if you've got this audio recording of these things being said about rivers of blood and the black hand the black man has the whip hand over mm. the white man and things like that that are available and not a, and they're available to be taken out of their context i mean there's been an argument to say oh the bbc are contextualizing it within their within their kind of season i'm not convinced they are but even if you do buy that it's very easy for this to be taken out of context and used online for rather more malign purposes. So I do, some might argue now is exactly the time to do this. Now we're at the time, you know, the point of racial tensions. I'm not entirely sure that the BBC's argument of, oh, yes, well, it's being contextualised and, you know, everyone that listens to this is very clever and, you know, is, is, is like us at the BBC. It's like, like our elites. I'm not entirely convinced that that it is going to stay in that context, and that worries me. Picking up on what you said about um, having the responsibility to, to, to decide, I'm always troubled when we're told we're not allowed to hear people talk because of the views they hold. It, it leaves me wondering how we know almost what we're against if we don't know what others are for. True, true, uh, and, I, and I, do, I do see that. I certainly don't want current day politicians or someone like Alan Yentob chairing some sort of committee to decide what I can watch or, or listen to. And without hearing both sides of an argument, how can we know which side we support, even though we might find the other person's view repugnant? And I stress, of course, I, I you know agree with you. I can't see how this actor <laughs> said what he said. The quotes you just said about people having the whip hand and so on. I mean, that, that's... Uh, that's determining people by their race. Um, if we aren't, if we aren't allowed to know, though, what other people think, then we're only seeing the world through one eye. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. But I, I, yeah, I do. I do agree. The problem is, is that is that I am just very afraid of fascists. Mm. I'm mm. just. Uh, we've seen this happen before. We've seen. Uh, I am worried that history repeats. We see this this horrible climate of anti-Semitism at the moment from both ends of the political spectrum as well. We see similar behaviours from supporters of people at both ends of the political spectrum, and I, you know, I worry that history is going to repeat. And I think that that, you know having these you know like i say having these statements available you know someone reading out these these horribly racist things having them in the kind of public domain to be used by people for whatever ends they want to um it's adding fuel to a a, a worryingly growing fire at the moment in my view i cling to the the, the hope i suppose it is that many of us perhaps um, I do hope the majority of us meander through life absorbing all sorts of cultures and of course I believe we're, we're better for it so yeah, yeah. absolutely and, and actually Stephen Bush has written a good piece on this actually in um, in the New Statesman Stephen Bush is a black writer and you know he's, he's many things he's brilliant but you know I think that's relevant here and he says I'm concerned that the BBC document so he's saying that he doesn't think that he doesn't think uh, the problem with airing Lenox Powell's speech isn't that it was racist it's that it was wrong and this is what he's saying and he says that his speech um, 
you know, he said the problem is that his speech was wrong. There was not some grand truth to be hammered out halfway between competing views. Um, Enoch Powell was wrong because he said that he did get one thing right in that he said that the proportion of the British population would be non-white British by the by the year 2000. Um, that basically it was one person in 10. But as he put it, you know, the black man did not have the whip hand no. over the white man. You know, the, 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 the UK has not been, you know busily engaged in heaping up its own funeral pyre um you know it's it's got the we have the fastest growing demographic of mixed race people and you know we have i suppose mixed race marriages as enoch would say um you know it was it was wrong and the problem is is that it's it's you know that's an unequivocal verdict and and the my worry with the bbc and this points to a wider worry that i have with the bbc at the moment which is in their desperation to present things as balance they present us with views that are wrong. So they got in problem, and by wrong, I mean factually wrong. They got Mm. in trouble recently for the Nigel Lawson climate change thing. Mm. There is scientific evidence that proves climate change. It's not an opinion. It is fact. It is there. And so to have someone like Nigel Lawson go on for balance and say, oh, well, of course, you know, that's nonsense, I'm sorry, but it isn't. It's wrong. It's this isn't an opinion thing. This is a factual thing, and it is wrong. And so I can see Stephen, see Stephen Bush's point that, quite aside from the morally, should we be airing this? Should we be airing stuff that is wrong? Yeah, I fully agree with this. I'm a long-term critic of the BBC's uh, stance mm. on balance. They, 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 they misinterpret repeatedly through sort of fear, I suppose, of, mm. of uh, you know the, the, the license fee. And I mean, I do, I do, they, I do have sympathy for them because I think they mm. do get as a public broadcaster. They do get smashed by the mail in the wrong way. They do, but my criticism of their views on balance are that it's not providing balance to provide an opposite point of view. Just because someone says that loving everybody is fantastic, you don't have to have somebody on uh, the Today programme ten minutes later saying that, no, hatred for all of mankind is a far better uh, path to follow. That's not balance. It it doesn't work like that. Life isn't as... um, as split as as easy as that and the 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 need for balance i understand that in the greater issue of political balance so if you've got someone on giving a party political point of view on a subject that will uh, affect the nation then i do understand that it's important uh, that the other point of view is heard because as i said earlier if you don't hear the other point of view even if you don't like it 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 doesn't enable us to form our own view coherently but as i say there is a world of difference between uh, an effective balance in terms of political views and and i think as you rightly said with the lawson thing just plonking somebody on who will persuade that one and one actually adds up to three because somebody Mm. earlier on said one and one is two that it's, it's not necessary fan conventions have you ever been to one Uh, They're an expanding and often lucrative business. That's next after ABC. Wish upon a star, 
feel a tinge of sympathy for Martin Fry and his cloak of ABC. They're, for, mm. they're forever in a wheel of life that every couple of years sees uh, the sort of insistence that there's more to his and their canon of work than the Lexicon of Love album, incidentally now 36 years old. I can't get over that, that's crazy. And then, when these other adventures don't find the gold at the end of the rainbow, the wheel turns and he's presenting showcases of the Lexicon of Love, or as in 2016, releasing the Lexicon of Love two uh, so a, pa- a band really permanently linked to one outstanding moment and also mm. b- by the way Jules another band with an absolute plethora of live and compilation albums 22 of them wow um, that is a, for a small can of work actual albums I, I assume yeah nine they've, they've actually co- completed nine that, actual that's albums. ridiculous yeah. <laughs> from the original lexicon of love album and a hit single across the world in 1982 ABC and all of my heart. Now, about 30 years ago, one of my friends had a relatively minor role in the hit TV show Only Fools and Horses, uh, a big hit here in the United Kingdom, and, as I'll explain in a second, also around the world. She actually appeared in two episodes back in the 1980s, which, you know, that might be that. We may, we may think, stick that on hmm. your CV or your credits on the Internet Movie Database and forget about it. But no, despite that rather tenuous claim, two episodes in the 1980s, she was invited and attended a couple of weeks ago the Only Fools and Horses 2018 Fan Convention in Exeter. Hmm. It was sold out, 220 attendees with an interesting ticket structure, actually, 75 quid for general admission but if you really wanted to mingle with the stars and by the way neither of the principal act- actors um, were there no David Jason or Nicholas no. Linders to, to, to mingle you had to stump up extra 250 pounds for one day uh, uh, just day, you know, nine till five sort of thing if you wanted early entry priority autographs and lunch with the actors in the green room now people did come from all over the world and I'm told everyone joined in with the spirit of the thing but I'll be honest to me it sounds like hell on earth but Jules would you ever would you ever be or have you ever been uh, tempted by the the lure of a fan convention perhaps uh, lunch go to lunch with PJ Harvey uh, (laughs) receive a personally signed Bell and Sebastian t-shirt or mingle over lunch with the cast of the Simpsons 
Oh, well, you know, that isn't that? I presume you mean the voice actor. The voice actor. It would be nice to be a cartoon. I think (laughs) I would suit, I would suit well, I think, a cartoon. I am quite cartoonish anyway, as I said to someone the other day. But um, I've never been to a fan convention type thing. I've got a friend that actually works as a crew member on them. So, so she crews a lot of these, these type things. Um, she she works for a bunch called Showmasters, I think they're called, and they right. she's always going. She, it's well, a lucrative not so business, now, but, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and she um yeah she she works sort of looking after people at these shows, looking after the stars, and and you know organising things in general. I'm not in quite entirely sure, but but it, you know she she ended up doing it as a hobby and then got got paid for it because she used to go to a lot of these things. Um, they don't really appeal to me very much, mm. I must admit, simply because I I quite enjoy my uh, I, I like to enjoy my pursuits in the wild, if you see what I yes. mean. So my yes. so I enjoy going to watch gigs, for example. So mm. in a way, music I suppose ne- less needs fan conventions, mm. doesn't it? I suppose because music is its own fan convention. A gig is a fan convention, isn't it? That's what you're doing. You're going to be a fan of that band yes. and watching them do their thing. So whereas you can be a fan of watching someone on TV or in films. Um, lots of these conventions are sort of sci-fi type things, by the way. So, so yeah. Harry Potter type conventions, or or, um, or they're often sort of TV program based as well. And and so maybe in a way that's why they have them because you. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm struggling to find the words, but but there's obviously a degree of separation that there is with music. You make by a the sound very it, good I point. I hadn't so, ever so considered maybe, that. Maybe it's that. I don't know. Um, I do go to record fairs and mm. I enjoy them. Maybe that's my equivalent of fan conventions. I don't know. I don't see the harm in them. They're not really my thing. But equally, if people, if that's what people like to go and do, then why not? You know, that's that. If, if that's their way of enjoying themselves, and do it. You know. But although having said that. I do think they are a bit of a rip-off sometimes, and I, it does make me cross. I'm not cross with the people for going to these things. I am cross with the people that put them on sometimes because I do think they are a spectacular rip-off, and we've talked about meets and greets before, mm. I think, and how expensive they are. And, and you know, I do I do think there there was that famous kind of Avril Lavigne one a few years ago, wasn't there, where you could pay to have your picture taken with her, and someone posted on the internet all these pictures of Avril Lavigne looking extremely miserable mm. and unenthusiastic with people next to her. And, and so I... I mean, I, I don't. They serve a purpose, but I, I don't like the idea of people being exploited for them. If you see what I mean, and I, I am going to say something that mm. it isn't meant to sound unkind. Um, it might do, and I don't mean it to. And I and I say this as someone who is themselves a bit strange, by the way. So so I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody that is is nearish. I think if not on, then certainly nearish to the to the autistic and Asperger's spectrum. So mm. so I say this, you know, with love and and some some understanding when quite a lot of the people that go to these things are perhaps if not on that spectrum some of them come from quite vulnerable areas of society sometimes and i don't mean that to sound critical or anything but i think that is the case sometimes that people that might perhaps struggle with some aspects of the outside world very much enjoy these things which is great and i think that's fabulous that there is a way that people can enjoy their kind of their their you know enthusiasms and their passions in a safe space i think that's brilliant but that's why it makes me cross when people that are perhaps a bit vulnerable are then exploited and gouged for huge amounts of cash for it by sort of show, shows of this nature sometimes yes indeed well i pl- i plan 
I think really never to meet my heroes for fear of disappointment. Yeah, absolutely. Same. I, I, I will not be mm. having lunch with PJ Harvey ever. <laughs> no, well, now and then I hear someone say, oh, I'm a big fan of so-and-so. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I've worked with them and, you know, they're a right pain. So, uh, you know, <laughs> so I mean, disillusionment is always just around the corner. And I, I shook hands with Todd Rundgren once and he said... I was going to have you ever dined out with Todd? Never dined out with Todd. I met him for five seconds. I shook hands with him and he said, hi, Clash, because I was wearing a Clash oh, t-shirt. It was, nice. you know, it was 30 odd years ago and uh, it, it, and but it was a five second moment and not a meeting as such so I've never met Paul McCartney or Joni Mitchell and no. uh, in a way I hope I never do because I would hate for any sort of reality to creep into my yeah. adoration of them and their work uh, to be fair the chances of Paul McCartney or Joni Mitchell appearing at a fan convention at 75 quid a pop in England seem quite remote, so no, I'm, I'm probably safe, yeah. Yeah, although having said that, well, occasionally Paul McCartney has spotted near where I live because, of course, he lives oh, fairly yes, near yes. to me. So near I did Rye, have, isn't it? Yeah, he is. I did have Robert Plant hold a door open for me unexpectedly in St Leonard's once. That was quite a quite an experience. Well, those things are lovely. <laughs> yes, it's, it's very funnily, similarly enough, I pass, I crossed paths with Robert Plant in Leicester Square a couple of years ago, and I said, "What well, and Thought, oh, my goodness, it's Robert Plant, and that to me is quite good fun. You see someone yeah, out of their normal environment. Absolutely. And I then saw Lenny Henry five minutes later, who was playing at the White. I was walking home, and he was playing at the White Rock Theatre, and was dangling over balcony, chatting, cheering to two passing women so that was quite yes I think that's quite good and I mean I think that's that, that that's quite a positive thing but I I do I, I totally agree with you and I do I really I I think you made an v- excellent point about the differentiation between if these TV and film and sci-fi conventions because normally fans don't have the access which of course we do in pop music we can actually go to a gig and as you that, say that's the point of them isn't it yeah, really? that, exactly. that you, particularly nowadays now that the money is is largely to be had in touring rather than rather than a, releasing recorded music Fleetwood Mac without mm. Lindsay Buckingham um, it, is it is it like is this like the Ravens leaving the Tower of London or <laughs> or more like Arsenal without Arsene Wenger uh, that's next after Lindsay Buckingham <laughs> Sure, I 
I watched the video for that yesterday and it, it sort of shouts 1980s MTV at you with every frame. Mm, yeah, absolutely. From an earlier time when he took a, a, another break from Fleetwood Mac, one of, one, actually one of my guitar heroes, number nine on the Billboard Hot 100, number 31 over here in the UK, Lindsay Buckingham from 1981 and Trouble. In many areas of life, people come and go and everything carries on. We adapt and and, and change. Our our top-scoring striker is sold by a football club, but the team carries on and the space is filled. A colleague leaves the office. Someone else comes along to steal your coffee and irritate you with the way they crack their knuckles. Life life moves on. But is it the same for for, for rock groups, especially when the front man uh, moves on? Black Sabbath replaced Ozzy Osbourne with Ronnie James Dio. It didn't work. Ian Mm. Jury and the Blockheads are now Derek Hussey and the Blockheads. What? I didn't even know that. Mm, mm. Former roadie now fronts uh, the the Blockheads, Derek Hussey and the Blockheads. In Excess tried and failed to replace Michael Hutchins, but then there have been successes. Peter Gabriel left Genesis, the drummer stepped forward and they achieved even greater heights. Some might say Adam Lambert is making a Mm. decent go of it fronting Queen. One of the best gigs I've ever seen um, was Fleetwood Mac at the O2 Recently, June 2015, very much the glue that held them together on tour was Lindsay Buckingham, front Mm. man, uh, extraordinary guitarist, as I've mentioned, and a a charismatic presence on stage. I say was because this week, Lindsay Buckingham was uh, sent on his way, go your own way, they said, by his Fleetwood Mac colleagues. And they'll be touring later this year without him. Now, Jules, it's not Fleetwood Mac without Lindsay Buckingham. Well, although hilariously, my bandmate went to see um, Fleetwood Mac just when they reformed Mm. a few years ago in the O2 and was very excited about going Mm. to see them. And I asked her afterwards how how she found the gig. I said, did you enjoy the gig? And she said, the best thing about the gig was that I was in the same room as Stevie Nicks. And I said, but that is a a huge room. And she went, yeah. And I went, Mm. and and when I sort of quizzed on why why she was disappointed by it, the, 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 the main reason for her kind of annoyance and her lack of enjoyment of the gig can be boiled down to two words, which were Lindsay Buckingham. Really? She said that, that he did a lot. She said she just, uh, Stevie Nicks wasn't, she kind of wandered on and off a bit, if yes, you see what did, I mean. Yes, yeah. And and that she just felt that, did you go to those gigs? Then? Yeah, I think it's the same one that I went to, uh, the O2 she, 2015. I yeah. see, yeah. yeah. She, well, <clears throat> she found, she, she was very much annoyed that she felt that it was largely a vehicle for Lindsay Buckingham's mm. indulgence, really, and that was her kind of uh, view of it, really. And so, uh, and, and actually, I would argue that there's some irony in the way that, that Fleetwood Mac um, don't have their original lead in them anyway, because of course they were Peter Green's Fleetwood yeah. Mac, weren't they, back in the day? So actually, in mm. a sense, they are a kind of a, a, a sort of a slightly put together or rather re- reformed band mm. in the first place. Really, I, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I I don't know that I'm I'm certainly quite amused by the fact that they they've brought Neil Finn in to uh, mm. <laughs> to, to to sort of play instead, who does seem the most random left field choice ever, really. Well, it'd be interesting to see <coughs> sorry, excuse me if if that does you know how that sounds i'm not sure i do worry 
I don't. No one wants to reach a kind of sugar babe situation. I mean, I, I, I remember <laughs> Peter Robinson from Pop Justice describing them as the triggers broom of pop once, in that they they didn't have any of their original constituents, but were still claiming to be the sugar babes mm. at one point. And so, so you know, there there are extremes where you get to the point where there is only one original member in the band. You think, mm, is, is this is this still the same band? I think bands are different. You made the comparison with Arsene oh, Wenger and Wenger and the mm. um, the arsenal team i think i think there's a there's a slight difference in that arsenal is a football club so it's always been an organization that happens to employ different people at different times but it is that organization whereas bands are slightly different in that when a band is first presented to you we're not just being asked to believe in the band as a kind of an entity sort of fleetwood Mac enterprises if you will but we're being asked to we're being we're being asked to buy the fact that they are a band and that they are united and that they have chemistry and you are being sold the band on the basis i think that those are that that is the chemistry that makes it up Mm. if you see what i mean so i think yes sometimes band members and even new ones join but yeah i do i i do think that it is a bit I don't know. I, I I can understand why people find it hard when bad people leave bands and they do when footballers leave football clubs because that is the nature of a football club, isn't it? Different people are going to play mm. for it. Whereas if you've been said, if you've been, you know, said, oh, these are the Clash and the Clash are brilliant and and you know these are, you know, they've got the best bass player and the best drummer and and you know and mm. they're a gang and here they are standing together looking great and all their photos etc. I know that they did actually lose their drummer and 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 mm. ha- and had to have a touring drummer for their sort of you know ne- ne- towards the end. Mm. I know that Top Ahead and had to go and they had to get Terry Chimes in but uh, you know it, it, I, I do think that if you're being asked to buy a band's chemistry and being asked to buy a band as a unit then you know you might have an argument of saying well I'm not sure if it's going to be the same well, well, that, 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 that's very much the, the point. There's a pattern, by the way. Each time Lindsay Buckingham leaves Fleetwood Mac, they replace him with two <laughs> guitarists, which I think speaks volumes for himself. That's a lot for him, doesn't it? Really? It does, it's, really. It's quite entertaining as well. Each time Lindsay Buckingham leaves <laughs> yes, Fleetwood Mac, there is, the end, Lindsay, they will keep going without you. <laughs> well, there, there is a there is a real pattern. I mean, if you if you, if you look at the sort of history of Fleetwood Mac mm. and the number of guitarists they've gone through, but this time they're bringing in both Mike Campbell from Tom Petty's band, which does make sense. But as you mentioned, bringing in Neil Finn from Crowded House, like you, I'm just not sure. Is he too high profile? But although he has got a fantastic voice and a great grasp of harmony, so mm. it could help there. It might it might yet prove inspired. But the, it might, yes, and, and he's a very likeable chap as well, uh, and I do wish him well. But the problem is, neither of them are Lindsay Buckingham. They didn't live with Stevie mm. Nicks, nor did they write Big Love, Go Your Own Way, Tango in the Night. No. But then I suppose I probably would still go and see them, so they win. <laughs> <laughs> Assuming... You're not joining Fleetwood Mac this week, uh, Jules. Where... <laughs> no, I don't think it's my turn yet. I'm not on the road to... <laughs> Where can we find you then? Well, I'm DJing at a private wedding this evening, so unfortunately mm. I don't think anyone can come and see me. Um, I'm already oh. stressed, and it's and it's not even 12 o'clock yet. But anyway... Are they demanding be... a specific type of music? Is that They what... keep changing their mind on mm. what they want, and they've asked for... And the problem is they're not asked for one particular genre, so the, the list of bands that I've been given that they fa- that they quite fancy include Elvis Presley and Guns N' Roses, <laughs> so, so I'm not really... Good luck um, mixing those together. Yeah, and Queens of the Stojo, 
goes Iggy Pop, Joy Division, Tom Jones, uh, Stevie Wonder, and Five. So, so I'm not entirely sure how well we're going to get on this soon. But anyway, uh, providing that I live through that and don't look back, as Courtney Love once memorably sang, um, I will be doing Indie Wonderland on Wednesday evening on Barricade Radio, eight until ten p.m. You go onto the internet and listen, or you use the TuneIn app, and uh, it's indie, alt rock, and miscellaneous. It's BarricadeRadio.com. And it's a great listen. Thank you very much. Endorsed by the stars. <laughs> big love to you for listening. Mm, sending you uh, looking out for love, looking out for a big love, as as indeed Fleetwood Mac sang. Exactly. And by, and also, of course, um, big thanks to executive producer Rona. Yes, indeed. Now, last week you went to see the band Public Service Broadcasting, but I it's did. the supporting artist uh, at that gig that's playing us out, Jules. Yes, that's right. Because I've gone on about Public Service Broadcasting enough, hmm. frankly. So, um, and, and I picked the uh, song to play. I think last time I saw them. So, so uh, Jane Weaver was supporting them. I knew about Jane Weaver. I knew some of her songs and liked them. And I went with my my friend to watch the gig. And we we turned up early to see Jane Weaver, as did lots of people. In fact, clearly she's got a bit of a profile. She's quite pushed on Six Music, I think. So, mm. so quite a few people were at the Brighton Dome already to watch her. And she was brilliant. She was really really good. And I decided to buy her album afterwards in the merchandise stand. And uh, she was manning the merchandise oh, stand at one of her backing grand. Um, very nice lady. Spoke to. Her briefly said i enjoyed the show and she was very gracious and also you have to admire anyone who is kind of homemade to the point where i bought i bought her and you'll, you'll be particularly riled by this i'm sure <laughs> um i i paid a, a small extra amount of money to buy the boot the blue vinyl version of the uh, of, of the album <laughs> instead of the black vinyl version although one of the listeners to indie wonderland did post a picture of their purple american edition of the vinyl so oh. i do feel that uh, that the sickness that has taken hold of me hasn't mm. isn't quite terminal yet but um i um <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I paid this money uh, to Jane Weaver herself, who went, oh, hang on, I'll get you change, and opened her handbag and rooted around oh, and found some wonderful. change and gave it to her, which is adorable, I thought. So, so, uh, so yeah, well done, Jane Weaver. Very much enjoyed it. This is from her album that came out last year, which she's sort of touring and supported, which is called Modern Cosmology, spelled with a K, and this is The Architect. <laughs>
You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.